This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. theologically with where we all stand and we've we've navigated that together on every possible platform in every situation Um, how how we respond to the culture around us and the pressures that come on us from the culture how we navigate those relationships that face us Um, I get a lot of um, and even with this uh, Shepherd's comments coming up I got a lot of heat from people on the internet who I, I, I don't, somebody has to show it to me because I don't, I don't go there, um, but that, that you were going to be here because you, you may have expressed yourself differently uh, on the issue of social justice or, or whatever other issue it might have been. Um, that seems to be the, the buzz button anyway. And I said, look, um, these are my friends. These are men I love. These are these are men who serve Christ. They've given their life to Him. They, God has given each of you guys a formidable place in the kingdom, and you've all had an impact on my life. I'll fight error, but I don't fight my friends. Why would I do that? I don't want to become an island. Okay, we're back with a brand new episode of Conversations with Jeff, and I'm really excited. We've got Brandon Howes back for round two. Last time around, we had a blast just covering a lot of stuff, but here specifically today, I wanted to talk a lot about social justice and the whole epic Shepherds Conference Q&A. So welcome back, Brandon, and glad we could sit down and do this. Great to have you with us, Jeff. Or I guess I'm just so used to doing radio, it's great to have you with us. You're used to being the, inter- the interviewer. <laughs> Total habit. Great to be with you, Jeff. There we go, for sure. <laughs> so, you know, we we played the, the I think I believe it was like the minute and 17 uh, long clip from the Shepherds Conference Q&A and that sort of thing. And I feel like that essentially minute of video is really what stirred up a lot of controversy within evangelicalism. Uh, what was your first response to that? Uh, my first thought is uh, he's finally admitting what I've known about him for the last few years. Not shocked at all. This book I wrote, Marxianity, came out in March, or excuse me, November. It's now March 2019. This came out in November of 2018. And I I admitted and I told everybody this is where MacArthur was going. Uh, many people maybe didn't want to believe me, but now he's had a moment of uh, honesty and admitted he's going to surrender to social justice. He's waving the white flag on the issue of social justice. He does not want to be an island. He does not want to oppose his friends. I mean, this is exactly what we see in the scripture, that when the tough get going, surrender. When you're about to lose friends, surrender. Uh, When it gets uncomfortable, surrender. I mean, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about over and over and over uh, using military terms. He's telling the Christians, surrender, surrender, give up, be sure you're comfortable. No, the Apostle Paul is using military terms over and over and saying, steadfast, stand steadfast. Don't give up. Don't give in. Contend. Fight. Don't yield. Don't surrender. Uh, MacArthur, unfortunately, uh, again, has done exactly what I said he was doing. 
in this book, and now he's admitted it. So I want to thank him for validating the research I put into my book, Marxianity, that people can order at Marxianity.com, 336 pages, 395 footnotes, showing what his friends Al Mohler, Mark Dever, and Lincoln Duncan are doing. The cultural Marxists that they are, pushing cultural Marxism, LGBTQ, all the things they're doing. Uh, it's documented. It's footnoted. came out November 2018. Now MacArthur's admitted he's not going to fight these guys. I guess he'll continue fighting the clear-minded charismatics, many of them who preach a real biblical gospel. Many of these clear-minded charismatic friends of mine, they get the gospel right. I don't, I don't agree with their uh, beliefs of continuation of certain gifts, but they get the gospel right. And they are opposing social justice and socialism, the same thing. They're opposing interfaith dialogue. Now we have John MacArthur compromising on interfaith dialogue by bringing James White to his church and seminary in June of 2018 to speak for a week. Even after James White violated 2 John 9 through 11, Ephesians 5, 11, Romans 16, 17, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 17, and had an interfaith dialogue by his own admission with someone he called a mentor and sought a kindred spirit with and had a kindred spirit with, a Jew-hating, Holocaust-denying, Hitler-defending, jihadi-preaching imam by the name of Yasser Qadi, right here in my backyard. MacArthur brought James White to his church for a week and propped him up as some kind of expert on Islam. That's a joke. Just type in James White and Robert Spencer and listen to a real expert on Islam clean James White's clock, Robert Spencer, on YouTube. Just type in Robert Spencer debates James White. So MacArthur brings uh, White to his church even after he was involved in the unbiblical interfaith dialogue, the main tactic of interfaith dialogue by the Muslims is, to, by their own admission, Sia Qutub, one of their leading scholars, to bring the non-Muslim to the side of the Muslim, not the other way around. It's a one-sided bridge, one-way bridge. So we now have MacArthur, I believe, capitulating on interfaith dialogue and now social justice. Two of the major tenets of the red-green axis that I talk about in my movie, Sabotage, Six Hours, you can watch the first hour for free at sabotagethemovie.com. It's that compelling that you won't know it's six hours. By the way, hour six exposes John MacArthur and his gospel coalition buddies. Uh, and hour six is all about Marxianity. So again, this came out uh, in November 2018, as well as the book. Both of them predicted where we're going, where MacArthur and his friends are going, and now he's just confirmed it. So thank you, John MacArthur, for confirming my research. Definitely. And, you know, what's funny is I feel like you and I both used the phrase good old boys club repeatedly over the last couple of years. And the thing is, is that he perfectly defined the good old boys club mentality of we may disagree and it may be an important theological thing that we need to separate from, but I'm not going to separate from you and I'm not going to condemn you because we're friends. I don't want to stand alone. I don't want to be all by myself. And, you know, that the funny thing is, is that his his let's say not mentor, but his, his idol or his, you know, his person that he looked up to Charles Spurgeon. I mean, his, his own brother, he separated from his own brother over theological issues and he's not willing to take a stand against some of his gospel coalition buddies. That's just weird to me. Well, and MacArthur is the one that wagged his finger at everybody at his uh, strange fire conference and told them they needed to separate from any of their charismatic friends that they might be sharing the platform with. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Here's what he said. Quote, when theologically respected conservative continuous, who represent a very small minority in the charismatic movement, when they give any credibility to the movement, the whole movement gets respect because of who they are. And you have this young generation of young, restless, reform young people coming along and attaching to their heroes. 
who are open to this charismatic movement and affirming the continuation of the signed gifts. And so they follow their heroes and either embrace that idea of continuation or are open to the, that idea, which is essentially one and the same. When notable continuous scholars give credence to charismatic interpretations or fail to directly condemn unbiblical charismatic practices, they prove theological, they provide theological cover for a movement that is deadly dangerous. End quote. Well, here's what I would say to MacArthur. When notable evangelicals like you uh, give credence to social justice warriors or fail to condemn their unbiblical social justice practices and redefinition of the mission and purpose of the church and calling and function of Christians, then you provide theological cover for a movement that you yourself stated in your own Dallas statement was one of the greatest threats facing the church today, and yet now you capitulated. The Dallas statement that he put out, which was goofy and, and frankly, uh, just wasn't worth the paper it was written on. I mean, it didn't name any names, didn't call anybody out. It, it was worthless, absolutely worthless. It was a, I think it was an attempt to cover their backside and say, ooh, look at us, we're opposed to social justice, while we run with all the guys who are. Well, the people in America aren't that stupid, and they figured out, which is very common for MacArthur, I have found, after a guy who promoted him for five years, MacArthur is a guy that speaks out of both sides of his mouth, and he's just done it again. Yeah. Because here he says, hey, you don't, don't share the platform with charismatics. You give them theological cover. Then he put, but, but yet what's he do? He runs and speaks with them. He himself runs and speaks with them at Together for the Gospel with charismatics like David Platt, Matt Chandler. Wait a minute, a John Piper. Wait a minute, I thought you weren't supposed to share the platform with them, John, but yet you run do it. Then he says that social justice is one of the greatest threats facing the church in his uh, goofy Dallas statement. Yet what's he do the very next week? Runs and shares the platform with Tim Keller in Nashville, in my home state of Tennessee here. Again, MacArthur is notorious for speaking out of both sides of his mouth. I had red flags with the guy for 15-plus years, would not promote him, actually challenged him again and again publicly on some of these things that he says. Uh, and then in about 2010, I heard him coming out against Rick Warren, Joel Osteen, the Emergent Church, and so I decided to give him a pass, and I did for about five years. Interviewed him twice by Skype in the Ozarks. Uh, but uh, 2016... The end of 15, into 2016, I was really watching him more carefully. And I just came to the conclusion that uh, that J John MacArthur is not someone I can follow. I, I put my MacArthur study Bible and all of his commentaries in a dark closet where they belong. Yeah, and, you know, for, for me too, growing up a MacArthur guy, I mean, you know, it's not... I feel like over the last two years, I've, ha I've had to be critical of multiple things that he's done. But I grew up respecting him like he influenced my theology my entire life and so it's really weird that i feel like everything he's doing step by step i'm like opposing and it just it just literally makes no sense to me but well and i predicted this in my book religious trojan horse and the coming religious reich that some of the biggest names in evangelicalism would be promoting these things i just didn't think that macarthur would jump in with both feet like he's done right and so so i think looking at Looking at this compromise and looking at what, looking at what this essentially this stand that he's taking that he's going to defend his friends, um, you know the thing is, is that he stated in I believe it was one of his blog posts about social justice is that this is the greatest threat to the gospel in his lifetime. It's not this isn't a potential threat. This isn't one of the top threats. This is the biggest threat, which would which would by definition make it more of a threat than the charismatics and word of faith and that sort of thing. But why do you think that he that he and a lot of his followers find it's okay for him to separate from the charismatics and the word of faith, 
but not the social justice guys, not the guys that are promoting social justice. Because I think John MacArthur is a pragmatist, and I think he's proven that to us on multiple occasions. So the end justifies the means. And so I think he's a pragmatist, and uh, he's going to do what benefits him and his following. And, and look, if you're running a college or a university, which I know is on probation, so we'll see how long that lasts. Right. But if you're running a, a college trying to attract young people today, and you're running a seminary, uh, how long do you think it is you're going to be able to fill that college and seminary uh, with the you know the large cost of that in California and the cost of real estate and maintaining buildings and things? I mean, this isn't like trying to maintain buildings in in uh, Alabama or Memphis, Tennessee, or you know parts of Tennessee where the cost of living is cheaper and properties you know cheaper. It's very expensive to maintain these kind of things in, in a state like California, uh, and to attract people from the other side of the country to come all the way there. You know, if you were in the middle of the country where it was easier to get to, cost of living was cheaper, these kind of things. He's got a lot of obstacles against him, I think, to attract students to a college and a seminary. And then you come come and be come to be known as this guy who is going to oppose uh, everything these young people are, are for in the area of neo-evangelicalism, neo-Calvinism. How are you going to attract those kids to your seminary and college? So it could, and I, I stress could, it could be just a pragmatic per reason for, hey, we've got to make sure we have uh, a right positioning on this to attract these young, restless, reformed, neo-Calvinist folks to my college and seminary. It could also be a simple fact that this is, again, where the trends are going for radio, and he wants to stay on radio networks. This is where the trends are going for book publishing. This is where the trends are going if you want to speak at any of these large conferences. Uh, and if you don't want to stay on the team, then you can kiss goodbye speaking at Together for the Gospel that he spoke at in April 2018 uh, before uh, 12,000 people. So again, I think there are many reasons, but I think the one reason is pragmatism, the end justifies the means, which is really ironic because it seems as though, again, he has set himself up as the guy that tells us who's got good theology, who's got bad theology, who's qualified, who's not qualified, you know, who's saved, who's not saved. And of course, we can do some of those things by looking through the lens of the scriptures. I agree. But MacArthur seems to take it and create his own standards. But then those own standards don't apparently apply to him. It's do as I say, not as I do. Don't hang out with the charismatics and give them credibility and theological cover, yet he runs and speaks with them. You know, uh, social justice is a great threat, yet he signs the document, runs and speaks at a conference with Tim Keller. Then he continues to bring, even though he could have easily gotten a copy of Marxianity in November of 2018, and realized, hey, I better not have Al Mohler, Mark Dever, and Lincoln Duncan to my school, uh, I mean to my church and seminary, uh, for Shepherd's Conference in March of 2019. So he had from November 2018 until March 2019, to get the book and figure it out. But uh, again, I don't think it's really at the end of the day about doing the right thing. In my opinion, I think we're looking at pragmatism here, big time. Right. And so when we're looking at those specific guys that he had speak at Shepherd's Conference, you know, I believe he even said from stage, you know, we agree on theology, which basically means that they agree on Calvinism. But Well, the real problem that he said that, I'm glad you brought that up, mm -hmm. because I wrote an article at worldviewtimes.com that came out last week, uh, and they can find it at worldviewtimes.com, and it's uh, titled, Marxianity Warns You. John MacArthur finally admits compromise on social justice for the sake of the good old boy club. And he, one of the things I, I brought up immediately in the article was this issue of him saying that, uh, he says, quote, I don't think there's any difference theologically where we all stand. We've navigated that together on every possible platform in every situation, end quote. Well, if MacArthur doesn't have any difference with him theologically, then I guess we can now 
say that MacArthur agrees with the cultural Marxist at the Cultural Marxist Gospel Coalition, which include council members Mark Dever, Al Mohler, and Lincoln Duncan, uh, with their redefinition of the mission and purpose and function of the church. Now, if MacArthur has no difference with him theologically, we are left to believe that he agrees with their new theological uh, definition of the mission, purpose, and function of the church. Because all of those guys are changing the mission, purpose, and function of the church through their social justice. As I document in the book, Marxianity, uh, Lincoln Duncan has, is planting churches with cultural Marxist Tim Keller, who brags that he was influenced by the cultural Marxist Frankfurt School, social justice Frankfurt School guys. Marxist, actually. Uh, they were known as the Marxist Institute when they were in Germany, came to America after the rise of Hitler in 1933. Uh, this is who Tim Keller says it has influenced him. It's in writing. And so the Cultural Marxist Gospel Coalition, founded in part by Tim Keller, that Deborah Duncan and Moeller are part of, here you have now Lincoln Duncan planting churches with Tim Keller, who says that, that we need to make churches for the poor. We, we need to create churches for the unbeliever. This is, again, is footnoted and documented in this book, Marxianity, and we have the uh, video clips of him saying this in our TV shows at WVWTV.com, that we need to make churches for the poor and for the unbeliever. Well, the word ecclesia is church, called out ones, ecclesia. By its very definition, the church is not for unbelievers. doesn't mean that unbelievers aren't welcome to walk into the back door and hear the gospel and biblical truth, but we don't cater churches for the unbeliever. That's what Rick Warren does. Uh, that's the con communitarian church growth model I write about in, you know, three or four books ago, Religious Trojan Horse. And so here is Lincoln Duncan planting churches with Tim Keller, excuse me, planting a seminary with Tim Keller, who's openly running the Gospel Coalition and planting churches that are for the poor and for unbelievers. Now, that is a theological issue. Maybe MacArthur doesn't realize that's a theological issue. And it's too bad a guy like me who didn't go to seminary has to explain that to MacArthur. But I, I got word for you, John. You do not agree with these guys theologically if we go back and listen to your old sermons. But perhaps maybe now you've changed your position. And I would like for him to tell us which sermons of his we should look at from now on if he does agree theologically with these guys. Because now I need to take some of his sermons and throw those out and never consider them again. This is very damaging. MacArthur doesn't even begin to understand the damage he's done to his credibility or his ministry, and it's heartbreaking, and I'm embarrassed and sorry, as I state and apologize in this book, that I ever promoted him. I should have gone with my gut reaction uh, about him the first 15 years I was, uh, uh, that I was uh, you know, out here speaking and traveling and stayed away from him. I should, have, I should have gone my initial gut reaction, which was largely also, in part, uh, based on this book that came out in 2000. Now, I was aware of him, obviously, back in the 1980s, but then when I became an adult and founded this organization, I had red flags with him and didn't have much to do with him. And even this book that came out in the 2000, year 2000, gave me red flags about him. But again, I set all that aside and said, okay, I'm going to give this guy grace. I'm going to extend grace to you, John, <laughs> pardon the pun, uh, even though I don't see that coming from his side most of the time, which is kind of ironic. But um, uh, I'm going to extend some grace to you, even though I don't agree with a lot of the garbage he writes in this book, Why Government Can't Save You, including stating that America's founding fathers sinned and violated New Testament principles when they founded America. We can get into that. Mm-hmm. But I, I set all that aside and gave him a pass because he came out against Rick Warren, Joel Osteen, the Emergent Church. And by the way, the Gospel Coalition, as I have a whole chapter in Marxianity, the Gospel Coalition is nothing but the Emergent Church repackaged. And I provide all the footnotes and documentation and Tim Keller's involvement with the men that helped start the Emergent Church. Okay, 
So MacArthur opposing the emergent church as he did is why I started following him and giving him a pass. Now the whole reason I followed him, well, he's he's capitulated. There's no reason for me to follow him. I'm glad that uh, back in 2000, uh, late 2015, uh, early 2016, I threw his study Bible and commentaries in a dark closet, never to never to be used again by me. Uh, for for uh, unless it's for just the seat where some of his theology goes off the rails, which it does. He he's as a leaky dispensationalist. I also have come to find out he has a very hard time interpreting the scripture in many key places in context, like Matthew twenty four. Those who pers- those who persevere shall be saved. Uh, that that is not talking about salvation as in you know salvation through faith and trust in Christ, that kind of salvation. That is talking about the Jews persevering through the tribulation. Those who persevere to the end shall be saved. But he wants to rip it out of context with his leaky dispensationalism, I guess, and apply it to uh, salvation. Uh, That's not the case. So when I become a little more familiar with what he's doing, and it's uh, it's taken me a little while, uh, I realize now that that we've got a lot of problems, a lot of problems. Right, and I I feel like, I, th- I believe it was, what, two years ago that Justin Peters was talking at the Judge Not Conference. And his excuse for giving a pass to James White was, well, he's a Calvinist. He believes in the doctrines of grace. So basically, we should extend grace to him because we agree theologically. It's like it's the same argument that's happening now with John MacArthur is that, well, we agree theologically. And what that really means is we agree on the five points of Calvinism. So all this other stuff is just peripheral because for whatever reason, the five points of Calvinism are the most important doctrines and everything else comes secondary. And coming from a Calvinist myself, it's like, that's not the way it is. Like, those are important for any Calvinist to believe, but that doesn't mean that just because you believe in these five Calvinists, everything else is perfectly fine no matter what you believe. And I feel like that's what's kind of happening with these guys. Absolutely it is. And MacArthur even said that in, at the Shepherd's Conference. He said, we agree on the so- on sovereignty, the sovereignty of God. And that's code for doctrines of grace or Calvinism. Would you agree? I mean, you're a Calvinist. I'm not. Would you agree that's not code word for Calvinism when he says we agree on the sovereignty of God? He's, he's really what he's saying is we agree on Calvinism, right? right. It's, it's not even a code word. It just, it just is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. So it's the same thing. If you are part of the club, if you're one of us, you get a lot of grace. But if you uh, are not a Calvinist and don't agree with us, we'll, we have no issue with MacArthur's uh, guys uh, on social media trashing you, going after you on a personal level, going after your family members at a personal level. Uh, you know, in some of these fake Twitter accounts that we have, a file about that thick, uh, uh, we have information that would lead us to believe that, indeed, that may be coming from Grace to You employees, and certainly, if not, they're very aware of it, uh, that, quite frankly, is disgusting. But if that's the way they want to behave, that's fine. All they're doing is validating for for us to the public what we have said about this brood for a long time. So they're really only they're only validating once again the things that we have put out and said about the way they conduct themselves and behave. But it's not with a lot of grace, right? And so what you I know what I'm talking about, don't you? Hundred percent, hundred percent agree. Um, but what I w- kind of wanted to do a little bit was take a step. Always kept it on the issues. What was that? I'm not. A- We've always kept it on the issues. Oh, yeah. And the, and the one or two times I did uh, uh, pop off on Facebook, I have turned around and apologized. But have you ever seen any of them apologize for their their disgusting behavior on social media? No, because they can't keep it to the issues. Yeah. Because if they do, they're exposed. So they have to immediately attack the messenger, not deal with the message he's proclaiming. But this is a leftist tactic from apparently people that now have no problem with social justice leftists. So. Yeah. 
they're basically adopting the, the tactics of the theology that they're buying into now. Is really what it, it comes down to. Sure. I mean, that's what Saul Alinsky said. Pick the target, freeze it, pulverize it. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to jump in with the social justice warriors, why not behave like them? And apparently they do. Yeah, exactly. And so, but what I wanted to do is I wanted to kind of discuss social justice and cultural Marxism in general because clearly it's compromising the gospel. But I feel like a lot of people, they don't, they don't see the correlation between the gospel and social justice. So what is, what's the reason why it's so important that we do completely separate from the social justice warriors and the cultural Marxists and that sort of thing? Because the cultural Marxist goal is the destruction of Christianity. I mean, can you merge Christianity and Islam? No. I mean, yet people think they can. It's called Chrislam. I mean, apparently James White thinks that we can do that to a degree in interfaith dialogue and find common ground. And we need to hold hands with each other because we're all going to be persecuted soon. That's what he said to Yasser Qadi, the Jew-hating, Holocaust-denying, Hitler-defending, jihadi-preaching imam, which is ridiculous. I mean, Sharia is what Yasser Qadi's for. He is a Sharia expert. And you can't hold hands with people who are into Sharia, as i.e. Christians, can't do that. Sharia is all about destruction of Christianity. It is about end of religious liberty and freedom. Um, and so people think that they can merge Christianity and Islam? No. That they can find common ground? No. No more can biblical Christianity or Marxism or social justice, the economic philosophy of Karl Marx. The term social justice was created by Luigi Tappernelli, a Jesuit priest in 18, uh, 1840. Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto came out eight years later, 1848. So the term social justice is actually created by a, a Jesuit. Now, we, maybe John MacArthur isn't aware of the Jesuits to the degree that he should be. I know he's aware of them, but maybe John MacArthur isn't aware of the Jesuits to the degree he should be and their tactics. And I would invite John to watch a four-hour one a four one-hour documentary or TV interviews we did on this with Chris Pinto and others uh, in our Situation Room. But when he sits there on the platform and uses the term social justice and says, I'm not going to oppose you guys on it, he has just said, I'm not going to oppose the agenda of the church, uh, uh, in part, not only the Marxists, but the Church of Rome and the Jesuits. Because the Jesuits coined the phrase social justice. Luigi Tappernelli, if John MacArthur wants to look it up. Luigi Tappernelli, John. And so social justice is also a, a tenet, a major pillar of Islam. I, I would wonder if John MacArthur knows that as well. So when you when you defend your buddies sitting on the platform there and you use the term social justice and you say you're not going to oppose them, the Jesuits are applauding you, John. The Marxists are applauding you. And you've just made a lot of people very, very happy. But what you've also just done is cause a lot of people in the pews, I believe, to surrender, to join you, John, in waving the white flag. I mean, if John MacArthur isn't going to stand and oppose these guys, he doesn't want to be uncomfortable. He doesn't want to lose his friendships. He doesn't want to be an island. Well, there are perhaps millions of Christians around the country saying, I agree with John. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to lose my friendships. I don't want to lose the church fellowship I have. I don't want to strain relationships with people or family members. I'm going to do like John MacArthur and wave the white flag on social justice so we can all get along and have a a Barney moment. I love you. You love me. We're a big happy family. Well, let's see how that ends. Ends. I I wish uh, Richard Wormbrandt were alive today. I think Richard Wormbrandt would have some choice words for John MacArthur. Because John, uh, Richard Warnbrandt spent 14 years in a Romanian communist prison because of socialism, the economic philosophy of Marx, in a communist Romania. This does not end well. And I don't know if John MacArthur is aware of the red-green axis, 
but I deal with it in the book Marxianity and big time in the movie Sabotage. The red is Marxism. The green is the jihadi flag of the various jihadi nations like Saudi Arabia, Turkey, these other flags that have green in their flag. That's a red-green axis. The Marxists and Muslims working together. Both of them promote social justice. So when John does this, he's really doing a lot of damage. And what's going to happen when Christians who follow John join him in surrendering and not opposing people who are family and friends because they don't want to be uncomfortable? Think of all the people that have left churches that were being taken over by the Rick Warren model. Think of all the Christians that were standing up to that. Christians who, by the way, were opposing it, who are in churches that their family have been in for generations. Their father helped start that church, maybe their grandfather, in some cases their great-grandfather. Their family members were married there, baptized there, dedicated there. Some of their family are buried in the church lawn. And they stood up against this transformation of the churches that Tim Keller is openly calling for. Tim Keller, who's openly said that the purpose of the gospel in America or in the world, the purpose of the gospel is the restoration of creation. We have the screenshot in our movie Sabotage. The purpose of salvation is the restoration of creation. No, that happens at the second coming. Read Romans 8. Uh, that's also in, 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 in the book of Revelation. Behold, he's making all things new as he sets up the new kingdom. So again, um, what about all those families that stood up to this and lost everything? Friends, family, churches? I guess they should have followed John's example and said, it's not worth losing friendships. I don't want to oppose you, my friends. Why would I want to do that? I don't want to be an island. So this is very, very serious. I just don't think a lot of the devotees of MacArthur get it. I think a lot of people get it. We're being flooded with emails and comments of people who have followed MacArthur, but they're not blind followers. They're, they've appreciated his ministry like I have uh, over the years and promoted him as I have over the years, but now they realize this is a bridge too far and, and they're done with him. Right, and so... Let, let's take a look at the guys that he had on that platform during that Q&A session. I mean, you've got Al Mohler, Mark Dever, Lincoln Duncan. Those three guys have done more to, at the very least, enable, but more than likely promote social justice within the evangelicalism in general than virtually anybody except maybe Rick Warren and Tim Keller. And so, Absolutely. And, and so let, let's take a look at Al Mohler. What, what are the things about Al Mohler? And the reason why I'm asking this is because... MacArthur's saying, well, we all agree on theology. We, you know, we agree, we agree on the gospel, and so I'm not going to fight against my friends. But why are these guys so dangerous that we need to separate with them until they repent? Well, let's just take Al Mohler. Al Mohler in 2014, as we have on the videos, come out and said that he, and apologized for not believing in sexual orientation. So he's completely capitulated on that issue and uh, apologized, not believing in sexual orientation. Well, if we're going to do that with homosexuality, are we going to do that with people who want to have more than one wife or pedophilia? I mean, um, we have Ruth Bader Ginsburg sitting on the U.S. Supreme Court who, for the ACLU in 1977, argued for lowering the sex age limit to age 12. So is there a, is there a sexual orientation for pedophilia? So where does this stop? So that's a real problem um, at many levels. But then you have Al Mohler, who years ago proclaimed that uh, Nelson Mandela is a hero. And that we need men like Nelson Mandela. That he's a flawed individual, but we need more men like Nelson Mandela. Well, for those who don't know, Nelson Mandela was a, a avowed communist. He was a terrorist. He was a racist. He was highly immoral. Uh, and Jesse Jackson says that uh, Mandela admitted to him after he was arrested, that before he was arrested, if he had not been arrested, he was going to go on and be involved in terrorism that was related to schools and hospitals. 
Well, this is Nelson Mandela, whose wife and government would put tires around people's necks and light them on fire. We have footage of this in my movie, Sabotage. It's hard to look at, but you need to look at a man and a woman being burned alive for opposing the government of Nelson Mandela, the Marxist communist Nelson Mandela and the uh, communist group he belonged to there in South Africa. And realize this is who Al Mohler calls, calls a hero. We need more men like him. That's disgusting. That's ignorance. That's being a useful idiot. Of course, how is that working out in South Africa? Now we have white Christians losing their farms and property, and the communist thugs of Mandela's history and heritage are torturing these people for sometimes days before they kill them. And then after they kill them, they're putting a Bible on their dead bodies to mark that they killed a Christian. So again, he's praising Nelson Mandela. But then he's also working with the Acton Institute, as I deal in my book, Marxianity, started by Robert Sirico, a uh, new, what, numerous reports from publications all the way back into the 70s, uh, that he's a, a former Pentecostal who converted to Roman Catholicism and is a homosexual, a homosexual priest. Robert Sirico of the Acton Institute. This is according to reports. You can go look it up. And yet Robert Sirico's Acton Institute, which reports itself to be about libertarianism, is really about communitarianism, communitarianism, socialism and capitalism mixing. They, a couple years ago, did a whole seminar praising the Jesuits. What's the whole idea of the Jesuits? The whole idea of the Jesuits is to turn the world back to Rome, the Pope's, uh, you know, Marines, if you will. Uh, this is uh, the Jesuits who are heavily involved in not only social justice, but mysticism, praying to Mary, the worship of Mary. Pope Francis is the first Jesuit pope. Uh, he was elected to office and went right away to a, 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 a cathedral and, and prayed to Mary. So again, this is all that's embodied in the Jesuits and a lot more. And yet, here is the Acton Institute praising the accomplishments of the Jesuits. And here's Al Mohler pro promoting the Acton Institute, giving extra credit to the students at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kentucky who go there, who, by the way, then go and sit under people promoting social justice, socialism, globalism, and Peter Kraft. Peter Kraft, the Catholic apologist who says that he knocked himself unconscious while he was surfing and had some kind of out-of-body experience and went to heaven and saw Buddha and Confucius and Muhammad and Jesus and all of them sitting together. They'd all made it to heaven. Peter Kraft, it's in his book, uh, Ecumenical Jihad. Why on earth is Al Mohler pushing kids to the Acton Institute and giving them special credit? Then he works with a group called the Kern Family Foundation, very wealthy foundation, and he's admitted on video that the Kern Family Foundation is providing funding for his project based at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary called The Common Wheel, and they spell it W-E-A-L. It seems as though what's missing is the TH, common wealth. Hmm? I mean, do I need to keep going on Al Mohler? Not to mention he had Nate Collins at his seminary, went there, got his degree there, and wrote his book, All But Invisible, which the Amazon description says he is a gay man in a mixed orientation marriage. And he's pushing the idea of same-sex attracted, or that you can be, uh, I guess, a gay, he calls himself a gay Christian man. I'll go look up the description on Amazon. It's in my book, Marxianity. And yet this is who was there and on staff and got his degree there and wrote his book while he was on staff with 
Moeller, I've yet to hear Moeller come out and condemn the things of Nate Collins. He walks around the periphery and the edges on radio, I think, to cater to an older base who's listening to him to cover his tracks. But why didn't Al Moore come out and condemn the uh, social justice guys? Then you got uh, uh, of the LGBTQ agenda movement inside, quote, evangelicalism. Then you got Mark Dever, who hosted the Living Out survey at his church in November of 2018 that used same-sex attracted, I guess, gay priest Sam Alberry from over in Great Britain, his Living Out survey uh, on whether or not your church is all-inclusive, which I document in the book Marxianity. And one of the points, they changed it after we brought national attention to it, Tom Littleton and I, um, one of the points was that if you're going to be inclusive, just as your families and friends in your church share meals and holidays together, you'll share your kids. Wait a minute, you guys share your kids with same-sex attracted people? Now, this survey to see if your church is inclusive to LGBTQ is being promoted through a seminar with Mark Dever's church in Washington, D.C., that's Mark Dever, who also at Nine Marks, as we document uh, in my book, Marxianity, is having articles written over there praising people like Jean Bonnet, a Catholic mystic, praising people like Eugene Peterson and his uh, message Bible, which he, people know that he wrote that, and promoting uh, Dallas Willard and other mystics. I mean, Mark Dever is a train wreck, absolute train wreck theologically. This is the same guy, by the way, who is reported to have said that if your church puts your... Um, uh, if your church puts your eschatology on your church website, you're somehow sinning. I mean, we could talk for days about the kookiness of Al Mohler, Lincoln Duncan, and Mark Dever. Oh, without, now we have video from, uh, I think it was from Ligonier's conference last week. I downloaded it before they could delete that. Lincoln Duncan bemoaning Revoice, the LGBTQ pushing agenda Revoice, and says, but I recommend... Sam Alberry's material. That's much better. No, Al, Sam Alberry's material is exactly what was being promoted at Revoice. So why, are, why is Lincoln Duncan promoting the writings of Sam Alberry, who I guess is an admitted Christian homosexual. I guess he's not practicing, but he's a same-sex attracted man identifying that way. He's on video identifying that way, if I remember correctly. We've got the video in our files. Why are we pushing Sam Alberry, Lincoln Duncan? But I guess if you're going to push Tim Keller and plant seminaries with Tim Keller, why not do this? I mean, these guys are a train wreck, absolute train wreck. But MacArthur goes after the clear-minded charismatics that are opposing all these things. You know what's so interesting is in this book, Why Government Can't Save You, MacArthur goes after the conservative Christian activist, calls them rebel-rousing malcontents, the Christian conservative activist, while he makes way for and defends and praises as having a vital position in the kingdom of God, Al Mohler, Lincoln Duncan, and uh, Mark Dever. So in this book, he trashes the conservative Christian activists, says they're not to be involved in anything but basically voting. They should not be lobbying, writing legislation, working to do these things. Don't be political. So he has all this, uh, these strong words of condemnation for the conservative Christian activist, but for the progressive Christian activist, for the progressive Christian activist, he says, I'm not going to oppose you. He puts them on his church platform and says that God has a special place for them in his kingdom. Newsflash, John MacArthur, we're not in the kingdom. We're not in the kingdom. You ought to know that unless your leaky dispensationalism has gone so far, you think we bring it in or that it's here or it's here, but not yet. The 
you know, already here, but not yet. No, the kingdom is not here. It's not here. God will bring it per Daniel 2. It is not here. These guys do not have a prominent position in the kingdom because we have no kingdom here yet on earth. Christ isn't ruling in Jerusalem, John. And even if they were to eventually have one, how does John MacArthur know they have a prominent place in the kingdom? Is he getting extra biblical revelation? So again, MacArthur is making comments that aren't even consistent with what he's preached in the past. Why is he talking about their prominent positions in the kingdom that God's given them? How does he know that, number one? Number two, we're not in the kingdom. So again, I can, I'm just stunned at the double standard he has and the talking on both sides of his mouth. And we've already mentioned a few of them right here today. But go read this. Go read this piece of trash. Why government can't save you. Now, are there some things in here I agree with? Yes. But this is a historically and theologically really, really messed up book. It's messed up theologically with a false interpretation of Romans 13. And they don't even know the proper form of government we have, continuing to refer to America over and over as a democracy. Yeah. We're a constitutional republic, as you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I and I really want to get into some some of the stuff that's dealing with that book because I remember reading that you know when I was younger and for a while I totally I totally bought into that but we'll get to that in a, in a second but a couple things first number one was that dealing with Mark Dever from what I hear there is a particular pastor who's claiming that he's the reason why Mark Dever is a speaker at Shepherd's Conference Do you know who that is no Steve Camp is claiming that he recommended. Mark Dever to John MacArthur, and then that's the reason why Mark Dever is over there at Shepherd's Conference. Well, wasn't he already speaking at Shepherd's Conference for the last how many years? I don't know. Supposedly, supposedly Camp's the one claiming that it's it's all it's all him. And so, thank you, Steve, for that. Uh, the the other side of it is uh, is dealing with Al Mohler. We didn't get into um, Russell Moore and his complete endorsement and pushing of Russell Moore. What what are some of the concerns of Russell Moore where it should be like? Any Bible-believing Christian should not be supporting this guy. Well, Russell Moore has been a Democrat a big chunk of his life. And, uh, you know, people can do that. Ronald Reagan was a Democrat. But Russell Moore hasn't seemed to move away from the policies of the Democrat Party. And I'm not saying the Republican Party is the you know greatest thing around. It's, it's just right behind the Democrats. There are really two parties just going at different speeds. But we do know that most of the Democrats are outright cultural Marxists. I mean, that's what they are. Uh, sadly, many of your Republicans are globalists. Many of your Republicans are communitarians mixing socialism with capitalism. But most of your Democrats are outright Marxist. And again, if you want to understand that, it's all in my book, Marxianity, at Marxianity.com. But uh, Russell Moore is one of the founders of the Evangelical Immigration Roundtable. I deal with that in my movie, Sabotage, as well as in the book, Marxianity. These are really complementary of each other. And the movie Sabotage, again, is one hour, is six hours, and they can watch one hour for free at sabotagethemovie.com. But Russell Moore is one of the founders of the Evangelical Immigration Roundtable that's been funded, according to numerous reports, by George Soros. George Soros of the Open uh, Society Foundation that wants world government, no borders, all open. Um, this is the destruction of our nation as we know it, and God hates globalism. He stopped it at the Tower of Babel, per Genesis 10 and 11, and... Uh, he has stopped it several other times throughout history, such as in the case of Adolf Hitler. And I think uh, now is the time where God is going to finally allow a little leash off, a little slack out on, in the leash for Satan to actually get a spiritual kingdom uh, in Babylon, 58 miles south of Baghdad, which I deal with in my 500-page book, The Coming Religious Reich, R-E-I-C-H. Rem- Empire or kingdom is what the word Reich means. So there will be a global 
empire kingdom of Antichrist based in Babylon, 58 miles south of Baghdad. But God has stopped it and condemned it. And what God allows isn't necessarily what God agrees with, right? But he's going to allow it, and Scripture is going to be fulfilled. But Daniel makes it very clear. God's kingdom will come. It will crush Satan's kingdom. And of God's kingdom, there'll be no end. And so George Soros wants world government. He wants open societies, open borders. And George Soros is funded, according to numerous reports, the Evangelical Immigration Roundtable, that has included uh, Russell Moore as one of the founders. So why is he there doing that? And yet Al Mohler endorsed him. He went from Al Mohler Seminary to Al Mohler endorsing him and even speaking at his installation service for Russell Moore as president of the Ethics Religious Liberty Commission and calling Russell Moore the man from Issachar. So this is Russell Moore. He's also called Jesus an immigrant. He has um, uh, been pushing and working with, he worked with Obama during Obama's years on amnesty for all these illegals. Uh, Russell Moore has um, promoted and pushed the whole uh, LGBTQ thing again at many levels. He's promoted ecumenicalism at many levels, social justice. Um, I mean, Russell Moore, again, is an absolute liberal, I believe. He's a train wreck. And yet there is uh, Al Mohler. Uh, that's his boy. I mean, uh, what? I mean, there's a lot more you can say about Russell Moore, but that's enough to get you started right there. Mm-hmm. And now, no, you were kind of mentioning, you know, open borders and globalism and that, and that sort of thing. What's the biblical case against open borders? Because they usually cite that we're supposed to care for the poor. We're supposed to be, you know, um, open to the immigrant or open to people in need. What's the case against open borders? Well, Genesis 10, uh, the Tower of Babel, again, that's what they wanted there in Genesis 10 and 11, and God stopped it. God told them to uh, to disperse and procreate, and they chose to uh, remain and consolidate their power. And he said, you know, disperse and procreate. No, they said, we're going to consolidate and have power right here and build a kingdom right here in Babylon, 58 miles south of Baghdad, which is 58 miles south of Baghdad today. So God condemned that right there and then. Uh, and, and the Bible makes it very clear that God draws the borders of nations. And God picks the nation that you're born in. So everything is about borders and in the scripture. It's about government, God drawing those borders. And we see over and over national sovereignty being talked about. So we don't see man drawing the borders. We don't see man being called to establish and set up a world government at all. To the contrary. Um, the... Scripture they use, Leviticus 19, be kind to a stranger in a foreign land. They use that a lot. Uh, that has nothing to do with amnesty. That's talking to the Jews about not lording their Jewishness over the non-Jew. That if you have a uh, one who worships the true God, let them worship with you. Maybe they're not circumcised. Still, let them worship with you. Don't take advantage of them. They don't know the customs. Uh, be kind to that stranger who follows God, as do you in your foreign land to them. It's foreign land to them. It has nothing to do with amnesty. The other one they cite is Matthew 24. I was a stranger. And again, that's Jesus setting up his kingdom uh, and separating the sheep from the goats. It has nothing to do with amnesty. So Leviticus 19, Matthew 24, the scriptures they use to try to justify this isn't even in context. It has nothing to do with amnesty, period. End of sentence. Right. And then and then the the other issue that especially Mark Dever really promotes is, you know, racism and racism within the church and, and that sort of thing. What, what are some of the things that he's been talking about or discussing when it comes to, you know, race and how does that correlate with social justice in general? Well, what we're talking about here is race theory. The uh, it's, it's race theory. It's uh, critical theory comes right from the Frankfurt School, as I detail in my book, Religious Trojan Horse and in my movie, Sabotage. Uh 
this from the Frankfurt School that I've been writing about and talking about. We started doing seminars in the Frankfurt School in the mid '90s at our Worldview Weekends, and uh, I remember the conference in uh, at Crystal Evangelical Free Church in New Hope, Minnesota, uh, in the mid '90s, where we had our conference and we had a whole session on the Frankfurt School. I, I bet you there wasn't just a, but a couple people in that room that ever had even heard of the Frankfurt School. So it's something we've been writing about and speaking about for a lot of years because you can't understand the transformation and revolution in America unless you understand the Frankfurt School. And they, they were Marxist by their own admission. They, many of them were of Jewish con- descent. And they came to America after the rise of Hitler in 1933. And they were dropped down by John Dewey, the father of progressive education. John Dewey, by the way, who helped sign the Humanist Manifesto one. He helped start the American Civil Liberties Union, which was started by a communist by the name of Roger Baldwin, who I deal with in my book that I wrote in 2008 called Grave Influence. Roger Baldwin and John Dewey are two of the 21 radicals ruling America from the grave that I deal with. So he helped found the American Civil Liberties Union, uh, John Dewey did, that was started by a communist, Roger Baldwin. John Dewey also studied the Karl Marx way of education uh, in Russia uh, and then came back to America to teach at Columbia University. John Dewey started the American democracy uh, society, a, a socialist society, I should say, in America that was the counterpart to the British Fabian Society. Now, that's very interesting because the British Fabian Society, started in London in the mid-1800s, is all about world government as well. And in fact, the Fabian window created by George Bernard Shaw in 1910 uh, has a wolf in sheep's clothing in the window, among other things. But th- this is John Dewey, who brings the Frankfurt School to America and drops him down at Brandeis, Berkeley, and Princeton, with the help of a young man in his early 20s by the name of, of um, uh, 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 he was the CBS broadcaster on radio, then television, and Hollywood has made films about him and made him out to be a hero. And, of course, then along comes a U.S. senator from Wisconsin criticizing the Marxists, saying the Marxists have infiltrated our government at the highest levels, and uh, Edward R. Murrow, who as a young man in his 20s helped John Dewey bring the Frankfurt School to America, Edward R. Murrow by this point has risen on to CBS radio then television, uses his position to destroy a senator from Wisconsin by the name of uh, uh, Joseph McCarthy. And now it's a pejorative, McCarthyism, right? So this is John Dewey, who he worked with to bring these Frankfurt School guys to America. And that's cultural Marxism. That's critical race theory. Because what they said, particularly Herbert Marcuse, who coined the phrase, make love, not war, he said what we need to do is create a coalition of victims and then say that the ones oppressing them are the Christians and the capitalists. So we'll create a coalition of victims of people of, of, uh, that are minorities, minorities, feminists, immigrants, the poor, the sexual liberation movement. We'll take all these people, make them victims, and then say who's their oppressor? Christian and capitalist. So they deliberately decided to use race as a dividing wedge to say, Look at racism, how bad it is. Yes, we agree. Who is the source of all this? Capitalists and Christians. And so whether it's slavery that America has largely repented from, corrected, sought and made restitution for in many ways, we're getting much better. We've elected a black president twice. We've had a black chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, Colin Powell. We've had black Supreme Court justices, more than one. Thurgood Marshall. Uh, we have today... Uh, uh, Clarence Thomas. We've had a Secretary of State that was black, Colin Powell, who was also, as I said, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff before that. We've had black Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. We have black congressmen. We've had black governor in Virginia. Amazing. In Virginia, part of the South, at least part of their state is, would be considered part of the South. We've had black mayors 
uh, we ha we have black uh, leaders at all levels, local government. So again, look at this advancement that's been made in America. By the way, who is doing better than even white folks, education-wise and economically? Asians. Look at what folks from India and Asia are doing. Is that because of white privilege? No. But you see, none of this is going to be talked about because it doesn't fit the narrative, which is if you're a white conservative Christian male, you're evil. You're a racist. You're a capitalist. You're evil because the source of all suffering and oppression is white Christian males, certainly Christianity and capitalism. And if you're white on top of it, even worse, particularly if you're European descent, evil. So this is all a narrative that's been set up by the Frankfurt School and Herbert Marcuse and his buddies. And... Um, this is what Mark Dever and the Gospel Coalition are playing right into. But I'm not shocked because Tim Keller admits in one of his books that he was influenced by the Frankfurt School. And he's the, one of the founders of the Gospel Coalition that Dever, Moeller, and Duncan are part of. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I think also dealing with this issue, I, I feel like when, when the divides started happening between uh, the social justice and the guys and everybody who opposes social justice, it was right around the time when that MLK event happened. And you had a bunch of the Gospel Coalition guys, and the Gospel Coalition was promoting it and writing about it and that sort of thing. And they're talking about, like, reparations. They're talking about how we all need to admit that we're, ra that we're really racist, even subconsciously. Like, um, so when you're dealing with that, how, how does Martin Luther King come into this whole issue of social justice? And what's the problem with him being that he is a pastor, a reverend, you know— considered a great historical leader in the American you know, society and, and even within the church. Well, I have a whole chapter, shockingly, uh, in my I'm book. I'm completely Marxism. shocked. <laughs> I know, totally shocked, right? A uh, whole chapter on Martin Luther King Jr. in my book, Marxianity. And uh, we can appreciate what Martin Luther King Jr. stood for in regards to wanting to fight racism. But the, again, the problem is Dr. King wanted to define sometimes racism in um, economic terms and state that reason... Uh, we had some of the economic conditions we did in America was because of racism. Well, no, it's because we have a free market system. And so he wanted to do away with some of those systems. And he openly wrote about and spoke, and we have the audio and video, speaking about doing away with the edifice of capitalism. He wanted to nationalize some of our industries. He said, why does a man need to pay a water bill when there's so much water in the world? You know, who owns the oil fields? And so, you know, he wanted to nationalize some of these things. Well, I, I guess Dr. King didn't realize that when you have a, a group of businessmen to get together and they spend millions upon millions upon millions of dollars exploring for oil, and then they drill and they drill and they drill and they finally hit oil, and they've spent millions and millions of dollars, and many a company has gone bankrupt because they keep hitting dry wells, but they spend millions upon millions of dollars in research and development and in exploration and permits and all that goes with it, the right equipment for the purposes of environmentalism and making sure that you don't create a problem. But then when you finally stri strike oil and you got to pull it up out of the ground and transport it and refine it and turn it into gas, you know, someone putting their capital at risk is capitalists. That provides a service to us to put gas in our car. Why should they not be rewarded? So when Dr. King talked about nationalizing some of these things, that's pure socialism. The, t the 10 planks of the communist manifesto talk about nationalizing some of these industries. Uh, and this is, again, a real problem if you want to live in a free society, because if you don't have economic freedom, you don't have religious liberty. Notice all the nations that have economic freedom have religious liberty. If you don't have religious liberty, you generally don't have economic liberty. So they go hand in hand. But King openly promoted 
democratic socialism. He talked about reparations, mandatory minimum incomes. By the way, these things have been praised on the website of the Cultural Marxist Gospel Coalition, and I show the screenshots in hour six of my movie Sabotage at sabotagethemovie.com, where they can watch the first hour for free. So the Cultural Marxist Gospel Coalition is praising King, promoting reparations, mandatory minimum incomes, and some of the very things that King promoted. Now, from a moral standpoint, King, according to his own best friend in the world, Ralph Abernathy, now how do we know he was King's best friend in the world? Oh, because Dr. King said so. The night of his last speech here in Memphis, where I live, he gave a speech at the, uh, at the um, Masonic Temple here in Memphis, and it was his mountaintop speech. And he talked about how he had made it to the mountaintop, and he may not get to the other side. And, of course, the next day he was tragically killed. But uh, he said, I, when, after he was introduced by Ralph Abernathy, he said that Ralph Abernathy was his best friend in the world. Well, Rab, Ralph Abernathy shared room 306 with him at the Lorraine Hotel here in Memphis. And he wrote years later in his book that King was a great man, but a man of feet of clay. And he did great things, but he was a man, and he did some things such as like to have group sex with groupies and prostitutes and admitted that that was going on even there at the Lorraine Hotel. It came out a few years ago after her death that Jackie Kennedy was disgusted by King because apparently Bobby Kennedy, uh, who was wiretapping him, uh, King, had heard recordings of him trying to arrange sex parties right before his rally there in D.C., and Jackie Kennedy was, was uh, you know, put off by that. Now, again, why were, the King, why were the Kennedys doing this? The Kennedys had told him, stop associating with the communists. Levison and Odell, some of his right-hand men, were closely tied and working with the Communist Party, Communist Party entities in America. And it is reported that President Kennedy took King for a walk in the Rose Garden to tell him, you've got to separate yourself from Levis and Odell because you're going to destroy the whole civil rights movement if this comes out. And he wouldn't listen. He would not listen. So they had no do, no obligation under their duty for other than as the president and the attorney general being his brother, Bobby, to monitor this. And so they were wiretapping him for this reason. So uh, this is how we know these things, even from the government side, much less what Ralph Abernathy was telling us. Now, God in the Bible certainly used a lot of bad people, you know, in the sense of bad with their actions. Lot was called righteous Lot, but look at what he did. Moses murdered someone. I mean, we can just go down the list. But it is they're called righteous because of their faith and trust in the righteous life of Christ was imputed or credited to their account, not because of the things that they did. It was because of the faith they placed in Christ alone and his finished work on the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection. And so I'm thankful for that for all of us because there's no one perfect, no, not one. Or as Paul said, I'm the chief among sinners, and I would, I, would, uh, I would count myself in that as well. But we count on the righteous life of Christ being credited or imputed to our account through faith and repentance. So we don't need to look at Dr. King and say, oh, look at how bad he was, because we really have all broken the moral law and offended a holy and righteous judge. But at the same time, there are standards for being a pastor. And Dr. King broke those standards according to the epistles with his lifestyle. But when you just deal with him from an economic standpoint, he was promoting democratic socialism. He also denied essential Christian doctrines. He denied some of the miracles in the Bible. And he denied um, uh, the authority of God's word, the inerrancy of Scripture. And he was greatly influenced by Walter Rogenbush, Walter Rogenbush, a Fabian socialist, who is really the father of the social gospel movement. So if Dr. King were alive today, he would be very pleased with the cultural Marxist gospel coalition that Dr. MacArthur now says he's not going to oppose because he doesn't want to be uncomfortable 
or out, be on the outside or be an island. Um, so this is this is who the uh, cultural Marxist gospel coalition, uh, Mark Dever and others have made it, uh, have made it, John Piper and others have made into a hero. Matt Chandler. I mean, I could just keep going. I deal with it in the book Marxianity. Yeah, and you know, and what's interesting is that you know, because you you would talk, you would mention the the other book that MacArthur wrote, uh, Why Government Can't Save You, and I remember reading that when I was younger, and I totally bought into that for the longest time. Again, I grew up in a MacArthur family. We just we you know essentially, if MacArthur says something, you believe it is basically the way it works. Um, but what's interesting is that I feel like what that book did is it caused a lot of people who were biblical Christians you know, focused on the Bible, focused on theology, that sort of thing. And they took them out of the conversation in politics. And then that creates this vacuum where then the leftists and the progressives could come into the church. And then now we've got, they're coming into the church and then MacArthur's like, well, I'm not going to fight my friends that are bringing this in. It's like, he, he, he's the one that created the vacuum, just like Obama created the vacuum for ISIS in the Middle East. It's like the same thing here within the church. Uh, you know, very well spoken. And I believe that the Marxists should give John MacArthur an award. Because I think in many regards, he has softened up the church. He has softened up the church. He has, in many regards, he has neutered the church. In many ways, he has brainwashed the church. Another word for brainwashing is uh, re-education. He's re-educated many within evangelicalism with a distorted and inaccurate interpretation of Romans 13. And he's also distorted and brainwashed the American people into believing things about America and its founding that are not true. So in my new series on brainwashing and my new book coming out in the fall on brainwashing, I'm dealing with the three powerful centers of brainwashing, education, media, and religion. And in the area of religion, we'll look at the leftist, but we're also going to have to look at folks on the right, like John MacArthur. Because I believe John MacArthur has done a great disservice to America and modern-day evangelicalism by softening up the church. He's softened up the church now, I believe, to accept interfaith dialogue by bringing uh, uh, James White into his church for a week in June of 2008 after he did an IFD with a Jew-hating, Holocaust-denying, Hitler-defending, jihadi-preaching imam. So I believe MacArthur, whether he knows it or not, is softening up the church to say, well, it must be okay. James White's done it. MacArthur's embraced him after it for a week, so that must be okay. He's also softening up the church to accept social justice. Well, I'm not going to oppose you guys on that. We're all united on everything else. Let's have a third way. This is the Hegelian dialectic process, thesis and antithesis. You have uh, Al Mohler, Lincoln Duncan, uh, um, uh, Mark Dever, the Gospel Coalition guys, cultural Marxism, and MacArthur. And now MacArthur just said, well, I don't want to fight you. I don't want to oppose you. We're, we're together theologically. Let's keep working together. So you just merge those theses together, thesis and thesis together, and now you have a new thesis and it starts over. That's the first chapter in my book, Marxianity. It's the, 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 the dialectical deception, the deception of the, the dialectical movement, the Hegelian dialectic process by George Hegel, the German philosopher, who was one of the four men that influenced the Frankfurt School, which influenced Tim Keller. So MacArthur has just played out what's known as the third way or the third option. And there was a book written by a guy few years ago called third way and it was endorsed by tim keller and the whole book is about taking the ideas of the left and the emergent church with evangelicalism and merging them for a third option a mixture of both well macarthur i think just played that out on his church platform at the shepherds conference and so um he's softening up the church for ifd he's softening up the church for the third way communitarianism and compromise the third way for socialism and social justice and he softened up the church not to respond to the revolution that's going on in our country by by basically trash talking America and then telling Christians, other than voting, that's all you're doing, and you're involved in any kind of support of any kind of military insurrection. Well, he's he's softening up the church to go along with the revolution and not oppose it. Let me give you an example. 
In this book, Why Government Can't Save You, page six, he says, over the past several centuries, people have mistakenly linked democracy and political freedom to Christianity. Well, first of all, we're not a democracy. We're a constitutional republic, and they keep referring in this book to America as in, in the Our founders openly wrote, our founders openly wrote that a democracy was mobocracy, the rule of the 51%. They deliberately created a constitutional republic which said that whatever the divine, well, in fact, William Blackstone, the leading scholar for the Founding Fathers, was asked, what is a constitutional republic? And he said, whatever the divine is ruled on, we don't rule against. So they don't seem to understand, they, whoever helped him write this book, don't seem to understand America's founding. But he said, over the past several centuries, people have mistakenly linked democracy and political freedom to Christianity. That's why many contemporary evangelicals believe the American Revolution was completely justified, both politically and spiritually. The follow, they follow the argumentation of the Declaration of Independence, which declares that life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness are divinely endowed rights. Therefore, those believers say such rights are part of a Christian worldview, insurrection, uh, uh, worth obtaining and defending at all costs, including military insurrection at times. But such a position is contrary to the clear teachings and commands of Romans 13, 1-7. So the United States was actually born out of a violation of New Testament principles, and any blessings that God has bestowed on America have come in spite of that disobedience by the Founding Fathers, in quote John MacArthur in his book. Now, here's the problem. He says that we should not be a part of any kind of military insurrection. Yet our form of government and our constitutional republic, upon which it is based, our form of government, and our Declaration of Independence, and our Constitution actually call on the American people to be involved in military action and use the Second Amendment, your right to keep and bear arms, if a government ever comes into being that goes against the organic documents of our nation. So MacArthur doesn't even seem to understand. It's written in our in our laws that we're to do this, that our military is to do this, and that people are to support that military, and thus the American people themselves are armed with the Second Amendment, not for turkey hunting. He goes on to talk about how we should never support a military insurrection. And then he goes on to say that we're never to disobey government. Only under a few instances, if we're called to disobey God, then we should disobey government. Other than that, we should obey them. And that all governments are ordained by God or valid. No, not all governments are valid. God allows them to come into being. But that doesn't mean God agrees with them any more than God agreed with what happened on 9-11. God allowed it. We live in a sinful, fallen world. But God is not the author of evil. Now, I know this is where extreme Calvinism takes you and makes God the author of evil. But God is not the author of evil or confusion. What he allows is not necessarily what he agrees with. And God can use the sinful and does use the sinful choices and actions of man to fulfill his purpose. Even as he will use the sinful actions of Satan to fulfill Bible prophecy. But MacArthur makes a big mistake here. Because he goes on to talk about how we're not to disobey government. Well, here's the, 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 the uh, problem. Which government are you going to disobey? Which government are you going to obey? If you, have a if you have a group of revolutionaries like the red-green axis of the Marxists and Muslims come into America, and, tr and they're literally trying to carry out a revolution by their own writings, as I document in my movie Sabotage, this is what they're trying to do, have a revolution in America. The Marxists and the Muslims, the red-green axis. If they're starting to be successful and the American people using the Second Amendment and the Constitution and our military stand up to them because they've now gained power in the government, well, who's sinning? And which government are they disobeying? Are they going to disobey the original government, the constitutional government that says don't tolerate these 
traitors from outside or from within. You swear an oath to defend the Constitution and the country from, from enemies, both foreign and domestic. You, the American people have a Second Amendment to oppose a tyrannical government. Now the Marxists and Muslims have taken over the courts. They've taken over our legislature. Maybe eventually they even take over the executive branch. Now the military breaks apart and says we're not going along. We're, we're, we swore an oath to the Constitution. The people of America join the military and take up their Second Amendment rights to defend their country and the Constitution and Bill of Rights because they've been ordered to do that, ordered by the Constitution, i.e. the government of the people, by the people, for the people, which MacArthur doesn't seem to understand. He has the government and then the people. No, he, and he writes like that in the book. We should thank our leaders when, when their government, he keeps saying that, we should thank our leaders when their government. Well, sorry, John, it's not their government. It's a government of the people, by the people, for the people. But which government are we going to disobey? The tyrannical one that's disobeying the original government and laws? Or are you going to disobey the original government that's justified that says oppose these people? Because if we don't oppose them, we're disobeying the government of the Constitution, the government of over 200 years. If we disobey this original government, and go along with this tyrannical government, that's a problem. Or if you obey this government, you're now disobeying this government. So you're going to disobey one of them. There's no, there's no, you know, no, no way around it. You're going to end up disobeying government, either the constitutional government, or you're going to have to disobey the tyrannical government. Which one? Yeah. Well, you know, and what's interesting too is, you know, like I was saying before, again, I used to buy into this, you know, ideology, but then, I, but then I start reading through the Old Testament. You look at all the examples of of uh, insurrection. You look, you look at the Book of Esther and how they they took up arms to defend themselves from the tyrannical government that was going out to kill the Jews. You look, you look at it, virtually any example throughout the history of Israel. And when there would be a bad king that was ruling or a ruling, you know, party or whatever, whatever it was, there would be insurrection. There would be disobedience against that tyrannical government. And then you even look at Nazi Germany. We all, we always within Christianity, we glorify Corrie ten Boom for her and her family hiding the Jews and sneaking them off and to protect them from the Nazis. But that were they wrong for going against the government at that time like that's the problem that i that i found with this teaching by macarthur is that it just it doesn't make practical sense and it doesn't even make biblical sense to me it doesn't make any common sense he says on page 21 quote without qualification or condition no he says quote notice the apostle under the inspiration of the holy spirit gives this command without qualification or condition we are to obey every civil authority no matter how immoral cruel ungodly or incompetent he or she might be. Any government is better than anarchy, but those character qualities and leadership traits in rulers can make obedience difficult, end quote. So he says, he says again, without qualification or condition, we are to obey every civil authority, no matter how immoral, cruel, ungodly, or incompetent he or she might be. False. False. Because again, we are in America, a government of the people, by the people, for the people, and we obey the government when it falls in line with not only scripture purposes of government, but within the framework and purpose of our constitutional republic. And so when they start using the government to shackle our pulpits, we, we disobey. When, when, when they start usurping our parental authority to indoctrinate our children, we disobey. We must obey God rather than man. Now, he throws that caveat in here a few times 
But he then goes on and makes these kind of stupid statements with no caveat. So it's a very confusing book to most Christians. But the reality is he's using Romans 13 completely out of context. Now, let me tell you what's going on here. The assistant director of the FBI, Sullivan, and I think 1961, warned about men like John MacArthur. He, he was really talking about pastors. And he was giving a speech at the United Methodist Church in Parkland, suburb of Dallas. And he said in 1961, uh, the assistant director of the FBI, Sullivan, that the, the pastors of America need to be very careful they don't become useful idiots for the progressives, the socialists, the cultural Marxists, the communists. And he says they often do this because they get outside of their area of expertise and they start talking about things they have no knowledge of. They don't, they're outside their area of expertise and they become useful idiots because they're being foolish, because they're not educated. MacArthur is not educated enough on government, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Federalist Papers, our Founding Fathers. He's not educated enough. How do I know? Read this book. Read this book, Why Government Can't Save You, and you'll realize... He's not qualified. He's outside of his area of expertise talking about the government and government policy and the Constitution, our form of government. Again, claiming that founding fathers sin and violated New Testament principles when they founded America. I would gladly debate John MacArthur on the government, our founding, the Constitution, and the colonies. And I bet you he cannot keep up. So he should just stay in his lane. All right. But let me educate John a little bit. We were invaded by thousands of troops by the king. And he broke his own British common law, and his own Magna Carta. He was breaking his own rules, his own laws, his own contracts, his own agreements. And he invaded these colonies and started taking up residency in their home, imprisoning people without trials, and doing all kinds of things that are against basic human values, not to mention what the Bible says is the purpose and function of government. So he did things that were, not, that were even opposed to what was British common law or the Magna Carta. So we were not involved in a war of offense. Our founding fathers wrote again and again. They would be involved in a war of defense, not in a war of offense. They often waited for the uh, troops of the king to fire first, and then they would defend themselves. And we see in the Bible biblical self-defense. If a man's blood is shed, as he breaks into your home, and his blood is shed, there's no guilt on your hand. We see biblical self-defense. But then you add Romans 13 to it. And MacArthur has a distorted view of Romans 13. And this is when I began to realize, in part, and gave him a pass, that MacArthur has a hard time interpreting the scripture correctly in many places, uh, which he does it great in others, but in other places it becomes a real train record. wreck. This is one of them. Romans 13, verse 1 says, which is what he's quoting to say we should be subject to every authority, regardless of how cruel or ungodly. Quote, every person, the Apostle Paul writes, is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinances of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Now, if you stop right there, you could probably agree with MacArthur. But as MacArthur knows, you have to have it in context. Verse 3. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on those who practice righteousness. Is that what it says? No. Those who practice evil. 
So what is the context of Romans 13, verses 1 through 4? Very clear. The context is government ministers are ministers of righteousness to reward the righteous, punish the wicked. Verse 5, therefore it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render all what is due, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Well, by the way, sometimes there is no honor that is due. There is no tax that is due. Because again, they are an unjust government that has broken the template. This is a template for government. Ministers of righteousness, government officials are to be, and they hold that trust in their hands. When they break that trust, break the contract of what is the purpose and function of government, they are no longer ministers of God. They are no longer rewarding the righteous and punishing the wicked. When they start to punish the righteous and, and reward the wicked, they've given up the template for government. And John MacArthur doesn't seem to understand that, but says it's basically all governments are ordained by God. Or, well, if you say ordained, you mean God allows them? Sure, God allowed them to come into being. Approved by God? No. Otherwise, again, we'd be saying that American troops in World War II that opposed Hitler and fought Nazism, that we disobeyed God. By going to war to kill Nazi soldiers, we'd be taking out a government of Hitler ordained by God. So did all those men that go off to war to fight Hitler, were they disobeying God? Were they sinning by taking out Hitler and stopping the Holocaust? When you realize how foolish John MacArthur's being in this area, you realize we got a real problem if this is the way he interprets and handles Scripture. But this is how he's doing it. And what he's doing is softening up the church in America to not resist the revolution occurring in America. We are a government of the people, by the people, for the people. We have to understand the context also of what Paul was writing in his day. And he wasn't writing this in America, where we have a constitution and a bill of rights and, and, and an understanding through the Federalist Papers what they were writing. And I highly doubt John MacArthur has ever read the Federalist Papers. I highly doubt John MacArthur even knows who Frederick Bastiat is, nor has he ever read his great little book, The Law. But when you come to understand who Frederick Bastiat is and the book The Law and the purpose and function of government— you can see even Frederick Bastiat understood what is the purpose and function of government. And so MacArthur, in many ways, is softening up the church, whether he knows it or not or intends to or not, by bringing in an IFD promoter, White, James White, to his church in June of 2008, defending these guys on his platform and not opposing them, and then telling the church, you need to just go along with the government, not oppose them. Uh, all you need to do is vote, and that's it. Well, again, that's a real problem. But not only that, it's hypocritical. Write this book, Trashing Conservatives, as rebel-rousing malcontents who are conservative Christian activists, while you sit there and give a pass and praise progressive Christian activists. Uh, I hate to say it, John MacArthur is a real walking contradiction. Yeah, it, it, it literally just it literally makes no sense when, when you're looking at, he's, he's willing to, like you were just saying, he's willing to confront the conservatives, but he's not willing to confront the liberals. And in fact, I mean, for for a short period of time, Grace Community Church was was going to be the host for the Gospel Coalition Conference on the West Coast. And then when they got a bunch of backlash for it, then they canceled it. But they still stated on their Facebook page that the Gospel Coalition does great ministry. But the Gospel Coalition does nothing more than just promote progressive ideologies. And, th and that's the thing is like 
if he's going to write a book and trash conservatives for promoting godly biblical laws and principles and that sort of thing, where is he on bashing the progressives and the leftists on promoting the completely anti-God, anti-Christian ideologies? It's just, it makes no sense. Fair enough question. And, 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 and what he should do, but he's not doing that, is he? Not at and, all. And write the, why did he even write the Dallas statement? If social justice is such a threat, why did he capitulate the next week by running and speaking at a conference with Tim Keller? Why did he bring these boys to his church platform, Moeller, Dever, and Duncan, even though it's clear what they believe and have believed for a long time? Why did he bother writing this book if he has no problem with what they're doing? Mm -hmm. They get a pass because they're Calvinists. They're part of his good old boy club. It's pragmatism. On page 130 of this uh, book, he says, God does not call the church to influence the culture by promoting legislation and court rulings that advance a scriptural point of view. Well, um, actually, the Bible may not call for the church, the organized church, to be involved in these things. But there's certainly nothing wrong if they are. In fact, I could even make the case biblically that Christians are to destroy the arguments and the principles raised up against the principles of the Lord. And if the government's going to start trying to pass legislation that shackles the pulpit, shackles airwaves, takes undermines parental authority, then those are principles raised up against the principles of the Lord, and Christians should speak out. And what is the church? The church is a collection of believers coming together. Um, this is what MacArthur seems to not understand. God ordained family government, church government, and civil government, okay? And they're all to have their sphere of influence. The government is not to be the church. The church is not to be the government. The church is not to be trying to control my family beyond maybe just a few things that they can do. But I'm the high priest of my home. We believe in the autonomy of the believer. And the elders of the church are not to be dictating to my family. Now, you can have church discipline if necessary. But other than that, it's not the role of the church to be telling me what I cover on my radio show, what I write my books on. And I know some of these extreme Calvinists want to be little dictators. But that's, of course, the way John Calvin acted in Geneva. So I kind of get their example and understand that. But reality is family government, civil government, and church government are three spheres God created, and they have separate functions that are being complementary one of the other. But here's the question. Can a father be removed if he is physically abusing his wife and children? Can he be physically removed by the courts, by the police? Yes. Should the church back up the police in physically removing that father from the home? Yes. So now two institutions just got involved, church and government. To do what? Remove the head of the home, the father, which is the third institution created by God, right? They can literally do that. Now, if you have a pastor that is stealing money from the church or sexually abusing children, can he be removed as the pastor, the head of that civil government? Can that elder or elders be removed by the people? Yes. Can they actually be removed by the government, being removed, i.e. arrested? Yes. Now you have two forms of government dealing with the problem in the church, right? Civil government, criminal issues, and then ecclesiastical issues. Yes. Now we all of a sudden we come to civil government. But all of a sudden, even though that father can be removed, the pastor and elders can be removed, now all of a sudden we come to the government, they can't be touched? Is that, is that even consistent? We're to obey them? They can never be removed? We're not to oppose them? No. That, that's not even consistent from a common sense standpoint, much less what we see in, in the scriptures. So there's a great inconsistency. So when he says God does not call the church to influence the culture by promoting legislation and court rulings advance a spiritual point of view, a scriptural point of view, I would say that that, that may actually be true or false, depending on what we're talking about. 
because we are to destroy those arguments raised up against the principles of the Lord, and we are to work to maintain the independence of our family and churches from the government telling us what we can and cannot do within the certain confines of biblical instruction. Again, the government handles some of the law issues, and then we have what the family does as well. But then he says, nor does he condone any type of radical activism that would avoid tax obligations, disobey or seek removal of government officials. Really? So it's wrong for the people of the, the nation, Christians, which is what makes up the church. The church is ecclesia called out once to say, hey, we don't. We want our elected officials to use the power of government to remove corrupt, immoral leaders. We can't be in favor of that. That's ridiculous. Then he goes on to say that we don't agree with, we should not spend an enormous amount of time uh, campaigning for a so-called Christian slate of candidates. Well, who is he to an ordinate amount of time? Do we have to call up to John MacArthur and ask him, how many hours is that, John? How much time is that? How much money is that? You know, this is where we have Christian liberty and freedom. And yes, I agree the main function and purpose of the church is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. But as we as Christians live out and act out our liberty and freedoms in America through radio and television and publishing and public speaking, we can't really do that as effectively if we just roll over to a tyrannical government like Islam or Marxism. So again, this book is just ridiculous. It's contradictory. It's not even correct biblically in many cases, and it's not even correct historically. So he goes on to say, the church will really change society for the better only when individual believers make their chief concern their own spiritual maturity, which means living in a way that honors God, God's commands and glorifies his name. Well, again, it's not either or. And that's part of the problem with John MacArthur. In this book, throughout this whole book, he keeps having this either or mentality. And it's not an either or mentality at all. So there are a lot of contradictions. I would venture to guess if the government in his area wanted to build a strip club next to his church or, or seminary or college, he'd have a fit and all of a sudden he'd be having his people call the city hall and get involved in government if his ox were in the ditch. But again, John MacArthur doesn't, or any other pastor, isn't to be dictating to individual Christians uh, what they can and cannot do. It's the word of God that does that with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And if a Christian wants to go out and organize in order to fight legislation that's going to shut down homeschooling, God bless them, go do it. If the Holy Spirit and the Word of God has convicted them to go and work and to pose legislation in your state legislature that is going to, um, uh, you know, bring a tax burden onto businesses to stop men and women from being capitalists to fund the furtherance of the gospel, then go do that. Again, the key is balance, but we don't take our dictates from John MacArthur. Certainly when he apparently flies by the seat of his pants and makes up the rules as he goes along and tells us what we can and cannot do, and then he goes and does the very things he says we're not to do. That, that's a real problem. He's losing so much credibility, but John doesn't even realize that. And as I write in my article at worldviewtimes.com, I've watched as the devil has set up snare after snare for John MacArthur, and he's fallen into them one after the other. Yeah, and, and I think that dealing with this idea of government and authority and that sort of thing, I feel like what's wrong is, is that overall when it comes to authority, they have a warped view of what biblical authority is. And it goes for government, it goes for the church, and it, and it goes for family as well. Because I know for a fact that within the MacArthur crowd, they, they demand that you know families obey the father to the extreme even if he's overstepping his bounds. And what I find that they do, and again, this goes within the family, this goes within the church when you're dealing with pastoral authority. How far does that authority go? What authority do they have? They never want to define those 
uh, the limits. And I feel like MacArthur's doing the same thing when it comes to the government as well. He doesn't want to define what's the limit of government. How far do you have to obey the government? Is it, is it only when they're doing something correct? Or do you have to obey them when they're promoting sin, when they are you know, overstepping their bounds and telling you you have to do something, whether they have the authority to do that or not? I always use the example that it's kind of like when a it's kind of deal, like when you're dealing with a police officer. If a police officer tells you to do something that he doesn't have the authority to do, he's no longer acting within his authority. Thus, you don't have to obey what he's saying. And I feel like the same thing goes when it comes to the government, when it goes to the church, and when it comes to the family. And for whatever reason, the MacArthur crowd just doesn't get that. And I don't know why. Well, you're absolutely right. And, and, and without knowing it, you're quoting some of the things written by Frederick Bastiat in his classic book, The Law. The law is there to protect us collectively. But it is groups of individuals coming together collectively to protect individual rights. For instance... As an individual, can I go over and uh, just steal my neighbor's brand new car? I mean, he's got a really nice new car, and I, I'm just going to steal it. As an individual, can I go steal his car? No, I cannot. Then collectively, the government, we the people, cannot steal his property. Can I uh, go over and, and, and uh, uh, deprive my, my neighbor of his freedom and imprison him because... I don't agree with him. No, I can't do that individually because I don't, I don't agree with him and I can't therefore somehow put him in a jail cell and lock him up and say, I don't agree with what you're doing and saying, therefore I'm going to lock you up. No. And we can't do that either collectively. So what we have to understand is the law exists, particularly in America, under our constitutional republic. The law exists and it is a group of people who are supposed to be carrying out the, the uh, character and nature of God as reflected through his Ten Commandments, or the Decalogue, I should say, nine of the Ten Commandments repeated in the New Testament. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. You know, all these things that give us Judeo-Christian law. Judeo-Christian law, a lot of it deriving from the Old Testament. But we as individuals are coming together collectively to protect the rights of individuals. So what we cannot do individually, we also often cannot do collectively. Can I kill someone that breaks into my home? under self-defense. Yes, I can, biblically and legally. Can we as a people collectively take the life of someone for the purpose of self-defense? Yes, it's called the military, and we do it all the time. Can we take the life of an individual who has taken someone else's life through capital crimes? Yes, we can. Romans 13 says they don't bear the sword in vain. They can take your life. So I can take the life of an individual when it's in self-defense or defending the life of others. I can absolutely do that. If someone is even not coming at me, but I see them about to kill someone else, I can step in and use deadly force to stop them from killing someone else. I can take their life. We collectively have police we hire to do that as well when we can't be there. Because we can't be everywhere. We need to work. We need to get a good night's sleep. So collectively, as individuals, we come together collectively to hire police to represent law and order and to protect our property and our lives, right? So when you start understanding that the law is there to defend individual liberties and freedoms, we're just doing it collectively, you start understanding a better purpose and function of government that I don't think John MacArthur even understands. I, I highly doubt John MacArthur has read the Federalist Papers. I highly doubt he even has even heard of Frederick Bastiat and his classic book, The Law, much less than any of the other writings and things he should be reading. But yet he wants to write a book on government. 
it's very interesting too because right now he's in a tough spot with a with a body of people that oversee education and licensing schools and he apparently doesn't want to comply too much with some of the things they're saying or doing right so wait a minute so now all of a sudden macarthur can decide when he's going to obey government and not maybe he ought to read his new book when he's dealing with the uh, wasc accreditation service what do you think well don't 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 i mean don't forget by his own words that that is one and only an attack from satan so you know like that that that's his that's his cop out right there <laughs> but isn't that often the case whenever something doesn't go quite our way we're going to blame someone else instead of taking responsibility mm-hmm. but when you don't take responsibility for your actions you always want to blame someone else or make an excuse uh that's pride and pride comes before a fall and that's a snare and that's a trap of the devil yeah and, and i and i think i think part of the problem with the macarthur crowd and and the thing is is that when I was younger, and even up to, up until a few years ago, I used to think that the problem with the MacArthur crowd was everybody else following him. That was putting him up on a pedestal. The, but the thing is, is that when you start getting into that the accreditation issues over at Masters Call at Masters University and that sort of thing, you're you're seeing what the accreditation board calls is a climate of fear and intimidation and bullying. And so when when you see that, it's like they're demanding that everybody fall perfectly into line with what MacArthur says. And when you're looking at it, whether or not it even lines up with what Scripture says, they will bully and intimidate you. And you and I know that they try to do that to us. So so when you're looking at this, people on staff going after my wife, mm-hmm. not a public figure, yeah, making lies about my wife uh, and and her being on my board uh, under a fake name, uh, which she's not. Uh, uh, that is her maiden name. We never bothered to change her name with the Social Security Administration. We got married in 1991. And so every house we've ever bought, every tax return we've ever bought, we sign it and she signs it with my last name. It's the title company and the accountants and the tax attorneys that change it in the typed form. In fact, if our tax returns, she'll sign it with her name, my last name, but underneath it, it'll have her name and maiden name. So, they're signed. It's signed incorrectly. She's mm-hmm. they type up her ne- first name and her maiden name, but she signs it with my last name. Right. We never changed her maiden name to my name with the Social Security Administration when we got married in 1991. And then after a while, we figured we'd just leave it because, again, that allows her to have a little anonymity with who I am. But again, uh, John MacArthur is right hand man. Phil Johnson goes out there and blogs and tweets and Facebook that I'm running a scam ministry and then goes after my wife. And uh, but this because, again, Phil can't deal with the facts. So he has to go personal. And that's what they do every time. And so, yeah, we understand the bullying and intimidation. And, th- and I got a file about that thick. I mean, we can talk about fake Twitter accounts and and uh, all kinds of things that I think would shock the public. And maybe one day I'll release all that for everybody to see. Uh, I think, frankly, MacArthur needs to clean his own house up and spend a little time dealing with his own problems versus wagging his finger in everybody else's face from uh, from conservative Christian activists to the clear-minded charismatics, he might want to just work on cleaning up his own house. Yeah, I mean, I, I would totally agree with you there. But now now when we're dealing with, let's bring it back to the Shepherds Conference. Let's bring it back to that Q&A and, and the I, social justice. I, I got three minutes before I have to be on another show. Of course, totally. So as we're, clo- as we're closing, what, what's, ne- what's next? Like, like wh- when it comes to McCarthy, do you feel like he's losing all credibility? Do you think he could write this sinking ship? Um... I think he's lost a lot of credibility, but I don't think he'll ever acknowledge that. I don't think he'll ever admit that. Um, and 
The only way he could write the ship is to come out and apologize for bringing in James White, uh, publicly denounce interfaith dialogue and what James White did, come out and denounce by name the Gospel Coalition, Al Mohler, Dever, Duncan, and what that group is up to and doing, as I document in my book, Marxianity, apologize for the statement he made on that platform, which I'm sure they're going to try to spin it, but it's there for everybody to see. It's clearly what it was. Uh, and uh, get on the right side of some of these issues and acknowledge where he's been wrong or where he's been arrogant or where his people have been bullying and intimidating people and mistreating people or spiritually abusing people. Unless he does that, I think you're going to continue to see this spiral down. I don't think John MacArthur ever counted on something called the Internet. I don't think he ever counted on the Internet. And the Internet, I think, has shown people what's really going on behind the curtain. And there's insiders that have obviously spilled their guts who've had enough. And when your own insiders at your own institution start spilling their guts uh, and people who formerly have worked there who have spilled their guts, including former employees reaching out to ministries around the country and spilling their guts, um, I don't think MacArthur ever counted on the Internet. That, that's very true. And so, so or, or do I think he even knows how it works? Self-admittedly, yes. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, so if people want more information on you and your movie and your book and that sort of thing, how can they uh, get that information? Uh, marxianity.com or sabotagethemovie.com, which is right over my shoulder. Definitely. Thank you so much, Brennan, and glad we could do this for the last hour and a half. It, it, it's always and, a blast. And let, me, and let me just close by saying I appreciate a lot of what John MacArthur has done in a lot of areas. Uh, but like I said, I had a lot of red flags with him for a long time. But when I heard him coming out against Rick Warren, the Virgin Church, and these guys, I, I said, you know what, I'm going to set those things aside uh, because I, I think this is an important thing he's doing here. And now he's basically capitulated the very groups that he was opposing, which is why I followed him. I'm not trying to write off the man's entire ministry. But the more I have looked at these red flags, how he interprets scriptures, his, his leaky dispensationalism, what I think is a works-based gospel with his Savior Lord, never believing in the idea of a carnal Christian. And we're not saying being a carnal Christian is a good thing. But his redefinition of what it means to be a Christian per his Lordship salvation, which I thought I agreed with at one time, and then I realized his terms are... He has different definitions to the terms. I, I use some of these same terms, but I have def definitions that are not the same. But when I came to really fully understand a lot of what he believes since 2000, early 2016, I realized we got a problem with his exegesis. We've got a problem with his gospel definitions. Uh, we've got a problem with his confusing sanctification and justification. We've got an inconsistency with how he treats the progressive uh, Christian activists versus the conservative Christian activists. We've got a problem with his a culture of intimidation and bullying that you and I both can validate to, as well as insiders who have complained to his own accreditation. I mean, there's a lot of problems here. And so MacArthur's done this to himself. We haven't done this. I spent five years promoting him, promoting his college, giving his college and seminary free booths at our conferences, bringing in his, speak, his people to speak, letting his college and seminary co-host our youth event and promote the college and seminary to those kids. And again, not charging for all that. So, you know, he's really, really disappointed me. Uh, and he's done it, not me. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and, and I believe in a couple of weeks I'm going to have Andy Woods on and we're going to tackle a lot of the stuff dealing with the theology and the sanctification and justification and all that kind of stuff. So that, that'll definitely be something that everybody should tune into and hear, hear in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. Thank so, you, Jeff. Of course. Thank you very much, Brandon. And everybody follow him on social media. Keep up on what's going on. And thanks for tuning in.
The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com dash spirit park. HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org.